Good morning, church. So, Tim had the hard job of getting us started and getting us uh, sort of the introductory comments about John and trying to familiarize us with it and get us kind of in the mindset of John. As you listen to John 1 and 1 John 1 today, did you catch his heart a little bit? He wants us to understand who Jesus is. That Jesus is not just some guy. He's not just a human. He is, in fact, the active agent in creation. How cool. As we take another dip into this today, and as we look at 1 John, end of 1 into 2, I want to bring us back to the, the image, the picture, the starting point of all of this. Um, I need a first slide, and I can't get it to come on for myself back here, so up here, so there we go. So I want to remind you that uh, Tim laid down the gauntlet last time. He said that John wants us to know that the real Jesus has real solutions for real problems. And I, wanna, I just want to take you to, to his first comment. He said, the first thing I want you to understand is that he has invited you into fellowship. It was right there when we read 1 John uh, about verse 2, chapter 1, about verse 2 or 3. He's inviting us into fellowship. And you think, well, fellowship, how is that such a big deal in terms of the healing? But as I've been thinking about Tim's words this last week, here's what I'd ask you. When you're going through something really bad, when you're having a really bad time, do you want to do that by yourself? When you're facing the doctor, when you're doing, when the doctor's saying, telling you things you don't want to know, do you want to do that by yourself? When things are breaking down at your home, when your kids are going crazy, as kids do occasionally do, do you want to do that by yourself? When we do it by ourselves, we go into a deep, dark hole from which it is difficult to get out. When we walk along those paths with someone else, when someone holds our hand, when someone encourages us, when someone lifts us up, we see the value of fellowship. And every one of us who's been through a tough moment or is going through one right, right now knows it's true. So I want you to hold on to Tim's first point from last week that he is inviting us through the reconciliation of Christ into a fellowship of believers with Jesus himself, who is the creator God, the redeemer of all mankind. Don't get, off, don't, don't get off this bus till you get to the end of the ride. He wants to invite us into fellowship, not just with one another. One another is good but fellowship that's bigger and greater with Jesus Christ, who is the creator of all things, the active agent physically in creation, the Logos, the Word that creates. And who is the Redeemer of mankind willing to give his life so that we might live. That's the fellowship that we've been invited into. It's easy to throw out the word fellowship and just think, yeah, no, this, this is a big deal. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Tim, for pointing us there first last week. 
Today I want to talk to you again about the real Jesus. And here's the first point. There are no other options. The commandments start with a simple, descriptive understanding of the realities of our world. I am God who rescued you from Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Why is that? Because they are rocks and they are sticks. You shall make nothing that you consider to be my image because you do not have enough brain to sort that out. The Bible, the commandments of the Bible describe how this relationship is supposed to be. Mankind, the broken, the worn, the the destroyed by sin, inviting into a relationship with God who is the only option. Everything else is some sort of fake. So I, I, I went to the early or to the beginner's room. And I got some things to try to help you understand this. What is this? Some people said a dog. Some people said a puppy. Some people said a stuffed animal. It's a fake puppy. Not a real puppy. We spoke to our grandson yesterday. He asked that we pray that his favorite little kitty stuffed animal would become real. I didn't. I don't pray for idolatry. What is that? It's a tiny little runt of a beaver. Ish. What is that? Cabbage. It's a French word. What is that? Yeah. What is that? Fake cabbage. Fake beaver. Fake puppy. Fake tomato. Plastic banana. If it is not Jesus, it's just a plastic banana. If it's not the real Jesus... There are no real answers for real problems because it's a plastic banana. It's not getting you anything. It is by nature of not being Jesus, a fake. Okay? This is very important to understanding 1 John. John is pretty cranky in this place. But understand he's dealing with some Plastic banana Jesus people. And these he considers his last words. Getting to the end of his life. Pastor Tim told you it's been about 60 years since Jesus. We're not sure how old John was when he was following Jesus. The earliest, the, the, the earliest estimates I've heard of his age are about 17. Which would make him now how old? Math, math people? You speak louder. You are math people. 60 plus 17 is 77, right? We right? Okay. We're not sure. He may have been up in his 20s. The Bible doesn't really say. 
but you know, we know that he was pretty young. So figure he's between 70 and 90. That was a nice broad scope we can take a shot at. We know that it's getting close to the turn of the century. The first century of Christianity's passing. Jesus was, in the, was at the beginning of the century zero, which we would call first century. And so it goes all the way up to about 100. Somewhere around there is where we find our guy, John. And he's looking at these as last words, and he, is, he sees the church facing a bunch of plastic banana ideas about Jesus. And I want to tell you, there are always plastic bananas Jesus is out there. Always. Every generation faces fake Jesus. Every church, every individual, whether they are churched or unchurched, has some idea about Jesus, and most of them are as good as this plastic banana. That's where John is. People are selling counterfeit copies of Jesus to the church. Worse of all, some of the people who are selling this fake Jesus used to be members of the Ephesian church where, where he is pastor. Some of the people pushing the plastic bananas used to be members of his church. He has been the pastor of this church for a long time, probably at least 20 years, maybe 30 and it has become a hub of Christianity. There will be five bishoprics in Christianity. Alexandria in Egypt, massive city, port city in Egypt, of course, it's an obvious place. Jerusalem, of course, this is the place where it all started. This is where James would be as sort of the head of the church. This is where Peter would return to over and over and over again. When, when Paul is returning to Antioch or Paul is returning to, to Damascus, Peter's going back to, to Jerusalem, that is the, that's the seat of the original birthing of Christianity. This is where Jesus preached. This is where Jesus went to the temple. This is where the temple existed until just a few years ago. Three, Antioch. Four, Ephesus. And five, Rome. Those were the five bishoprics of the early church. Those are where the five leaders of the church, when they said, hey, let's talk to the leaders of the church about what we should do here, those are the people they talked to. John's one of those people. And out of the home turf of one of the bishoprics, one of the, the, the authority centers in the church, comes plastic banana Jesus. Comes fake copies. The claims were that Jesus wasn't actually real. We're, we're, we're kind of in review mode here still from last week. Jesus wasn't actually real. They didn't, want, they didn't want you to think that Jesus had a physical body because they believed in what was known as Platonic dualism. They believed that everything had a physical element and a spiritual element, and the two didn't blend. So you were like this weird mix of two things. You're a physical body, which I see, but there's a spiritual thing going on there, which I can't see. And that spiritual thing, it, well, it was eternal. And that body, we know what happened to that. It becomes a, a stinking flower pot support when, it, when it's done. And they were selling this plastic banana Jesus saying, look, Jesus 
couldn't possibly have taken a physical form. How could God mingle with man? Everybody's still asking that question. How could God mingle with man? We know men are broken and and sinful and horrible, and we know that God is perfect and, and sinless and beautiful. And they're saying, therefore, since Plato was correct, Jesus could not have been human. So it was just kind of a mirage thing. The body of Jesus that died on the cross wasn't actually God. It was some kind of weird mirage thing. Yeah. That's the junk they were selling those days. The problem was the church was buying. The church was heavily buying. And so John is counting the last days on his personal clock, and he's saying, I need to straighten these people out because if there is no real Jesus there are no real answers and people have big problems if there is no eternity as Paul would say we are of all men most miserable if there's no resurrection there is no final solution and that's the stuff these guys were selling it's Gnosticism it will become dual or docetism in a few years. It doesn't really matter that you know the names. What you need to know is the undergirding plastic banana theology. Got it? Jesus wasn't real, so he couldn't have died for us. It was just a figment of your imagination, just this body thing that wasn't really a thing that croaked. And, you know, then this spirit part of him disappeared. And the resurrection wasn't really really real because there was nothing to resurrect. You see how this undermines everything? This is why John comes back with, as Tim told us yesterday, last week, we saw him, we heard him, we handled him. And I want you to picture Pastor Tim standing there at that band, that big concert event that he was at, where his band was part of the concert, and everybody was reaching through and touching and invading his personal space, maybe tickling him a little. Don't forget he's tickly. That's the difference between Tim and I. I was at, a, at, a, at a, a gathering with a bunch of men. It was promise keepers. And they said, if you're a pastor, stand up. I stood up. I was one of like three, four pastors in our whole section. And they said, now, if you can reach this pastor, put your hands on him. And it was like, hands are coming from all over. And I'm like, this is cool. Tim apparently was like, whoa, don't touch me. So you know what you have to do. You have to get him used to being touched. So just make sure that you're, every chance you get, helping him out with that. We handled him. And he was real. We saw him eat real food. We touched him. We talked to him. We hiked together. We sweated together. We talked. We prayed We slept in the same camps. We built the same fires. We saw him every day for three and a half years. We know he's real. Your plastic banana idea is dumb. And it's of no help. So think of John facing that as we talk about this, this, this next piece. As we talk about what he's going to do, what he's going to say, how he's going to face this with people. That I've, I've given you 60 years of this, 
I thought you would have figured it out by now. I have very little time left, and I am getting this through to you no matter what. So here we are. John 1, verse 2. Things that were made through him, John was given. All things were made through him. John's given his life to tell the world that. All things were made through him. Sorry, my picture up there and my picture back here are different from yours, so I get confused sometimes. Don't look back that way. The apostles have now died off. They've been preaching for 60 years, and this is the last man standing. James, his brother, was the first one killed. You know that, right? Within the first year, his brother was killed for his faith. A few years later, Stephen, the, the, the deacon, was, was killed. All of those things were starting the way the church started. Peter was taken into prison because he was supposed to be next, and God let him out. And John had watched him fall. He had been the friend of every one of those apostles. Just checking them off. 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 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, John. When you read the book of John, know this is the character writing. When you read first and second, please read them. Please read first, second, third John. These are the, the heart pouring out of a man who is saying, I can't believe you're buying plastic bananas. What is wrong with you people? So I want to talk to you about the ifs. If you read John, you know the ifs, right? They're, they're right in your face ifs. The first one, I'm still kind of walking uh, Tim's stuff last, from last week, but here it is. If we say we have no sin, here's the deal. Mike, you're closest. Would you stand up? Mike, you're about to be on TV. Do I have your permission to put your face on TV? Okay. Okay, good. Keep looking at <laughs> What do you see? A handsome specimen. A very handsome young man. <laughs> Barely out of his 20s. You see a physical body, right? Not really. You see a fake image, sort of a plastic banana body. But the spirit that you can't see, that's amazing. That's what they're selling, right? That's what they're selling. That there's a separation between this guy of his physical body and the spiritual content that can't be touched, can't be understood, can't be destroyed, and can't sin. I know Mike. He could sin. I asked Liz. She said you have to happen. Once. Once. Just once. Thank you. But you get the picture, right? If it, this is what's being taught by members of his church to other members of the other churches. This is what's spreading across to Christianity. When you hear people talk about the Gnostic gospel, this is part of what they're teaching. This is where they're going. So he comes, comes out with his first if, and he says, if we say that we have no sin. You see, if you don't see that your physical body and your spiritual body can connect, 
and all you're really concerned about is the, re the redemption of your spiritual body, you can do anything with your physical body. Because it's not affected. It's just a physical body. And we all know what happens to it. It becomes powerful. But it's that other part. If you say you have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. He's like, listen, plastic banana buyers. It's not true. We live in a world where people say humans are good. Humans are basically good. At the root of all human beings is goodness. That's what the world says, right? And the only thing that changes the way they behave is their environment, the wrong neighborhood, the wrong family, the wrong situation, and the whole thing blows up. The Bible says your heart, my heart, is deceitfully wicked above all things. Beyond finding out. Because you don't even know how messed up you are. It's a plastic banana. It's not true. Every one of us is a mess. And until we understand that, we don't know we're doing it. And he says, if you say you don't sin, you deceive yourself because the rest of us know. You deceive yourself because we all know. We understand that you sin. We understand that we sin. And the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, so you say you don't sin. And you say that I have never sinned. If you say you have not sinned, you make him, Jesus, a what? A liar. And by the way, you make his sacrifice empty. So his word is not in you. Because he said you needed redemption. And if you say you didn't sin, then you don't need redemption. You can save yourself. And he's about this much good. I wonder what a plastic banana costs. I know what redemption costs. So Paul hits you hard, or, sorry, John hits hard with these ifs because the church is buying the plastic banana and he's on his last word. And then we slide into chapter 2, verse 4. If someone, anyone, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a what? Liar. And is not living in the truth. The other two we were okay with because those were other people's problems. This one's getting a little close to home. But the measure of a follower is his imitation of the original. Right? 
the measure of a follower is imitation of the original. I, I used to sit and listen, speaking of Mike, to Pastor Webster and Pastor Mike when they would talk about Elton John. And they just, they knew every album, they knew every song, they, they, they were just, da 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 about Elton John. I have learned more about Elton John from those two guys in the last, I don't know, uh, 10 years than I ever knew or ever wanted to know about Elton John up to that point. This morning, Elton John came up again. I was sitting right over there, and there was a concert, and Elton was over there, and I was sitting here, and I was watching him play. I was at that series. Whatever. Goofy guy, big glasses. Songs I like. Real followers know the master and imitate. I'm not saying those guys are imitating Elton a lot. But that's the point, right? And, and that's where it comes to our world. I don't think any of you are saying, I don't, I've never sinned. I'm platonically dualistic. This body can't sin, so I do whatever I want with it. If you are, it's a plastic banana. But this point, when he, when, he hit, when, he, when he comes across with the right, bam, at us, yeah, that's when we go, yeah, I guess he's talking to me too. And that's the deal. He is talking to all of us. He is motivated by these last words. He's motivated by what's happening in his church. But the reason this book has hung on and been loved for so long, we've got a hitch right here. But man, if, if, if you claim to know God... And you're ignoring his call. You're ignoring what he's asking you to do. You're ignoring following. Can you really say you know God? Many. He gives them in the middle of this. And I kind of jumped over this so that we could. We could get to the hard if. And there are more. We just have chapters three, four, five and then. Second John, third John, yet to go. But don't miss the answer he gives. We started here last week also. We talked about this, and I, I just want to come back to it because I think this is one of the most important texts in all of Scripture. If we confess our sins, if we believe that we actually have sinned, and if we confess our sins, if we admit that we have them, and we bring them to God, if we confess our sins, we lay it out and say, this is, yeah, this is really who I am, and you already know, and I just wanted to square that up. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He's faithful means he'll always do it. Just means he has the right to do it. We'll get back to that in just a second. If we confess our sins, if we admit that we have sin, and we, if, we've, if we've thrown out the plastic banana and said, it's a lie, then in recognition of who we are, really, we come to God, really, and we discover Jesus, really, and the answers are there, really. If we confess our, our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No mas. No more. 
And yet, it's gone. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There will be none left. But it all comes back to if we confess our sins. If we come to God in in the recognition that we need Jesus. We need his real Jesus. We need the Jesus that has been through what I've been through and understands what I've understand, who's been tempted in all manner such as we, and yet was without sin, and then gave himself freely on the cross so that I might confess, and so that God might be just in forgiving me. Hmm. The just part is really important. The reason this this passage is so significant to me is that it made me realize that when the Bible talks about God having the right to forgive, it all hangs, listen, on the cross. I use that word specifically. Because the right to let us off was bought at the death of the Son of God. He is faithful to forgive. And he earned the right to forgive. And you can argue, no, no, he, he's an all-powerful God. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. He could lie. And erase it from all of our memories. He could get one of those little lights like the men in black. Tink, and you wouldn't know. Right? But he would know. And he could no longer be a righteous and holy God because he lied. He could forgive your sins, wipe it out. He could have killed Satan and wiped out his memory from everyone, right? He's God. He can do what he wants. Who knows that he's unrighteous? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So rather than deny his own, his own core being, he died to earn the right to say, if you confess, I will forgive all of it. And you will be cleansed and there will be nothing left. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all on all unrighteousness. It's a real answer for sin. It's not sleight of hand. It's not God saying, okay, <laughs> we'll let you go. It's God saying, I bought it. If you want it, come ask for it. And I'll give it to you. I paid for it. But I can't force you to take it. But if you want it, I'll give it to you. So come to me and say, yeah, I know I've sinned. I know I've caused problems. I know I've done things. And I need you to take them away. And he said, I paid for that. I've made it possible to wipe your record clean and set you up as if you have never sinned. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. 
righteousness. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Every pastor's hope is that the church would become sinless. Then he realizes he would be the only person, or she, would be the only person in the church left with sin, and it would be a very lonely existence. But John says, I'm writing you these things so that you won't be in sin. He says, these people who are selling you the plastic banana that says you cannot sin are lying. But I'm writing you to say you can sin, but you don't have to. I'm writing you these things so that you don't sin. But, and, if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father. Who's it? Your advocate. It's the lawyer standing there next to the Father saying, Hey, let him off. I paid. We paid. So we can let him go. He wants it. We give it to him. That's the arrangement. That's the contract. That's the deal. I will walk the path that you walked so you don't have to walk it anymore. I will take the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, and I will pay that price so that you might be saved. Jesus stands there. I don't think there's much convincing to do for the Father since they're in on this together. Our advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. Here's the apostle. His church is buying a lie. And he knows time's about up. And he is in earnest in these three books, in these three short letters, really. And the beloved disciple, the guy who writes the book of John, everybody's favorite gospel because it's so beloved, it's so kind. He brings out all these these nuances of Jesus that shape and help you understand how great it was to hang out with Jesus. Now at the end of his life, he's like, no. No. You can't claim that you don't sin. You can't claim to be a follower of God and then live like the devil. You can't. It doesn't work. There's not a real Jesus there. And there's not a real relationship there. And if those two things are not real, there is no real salvation. There is no real answer. There is no real resurrection for you. And so he's really pushing it. He's trying to make sure we're not lost in some some fake story that There's just no option. Jesus is the answer for sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But only the real Jesus makes forgiveness an act of justification. The real Jesus has real answers. The fake Jesus has no answers. There is no other real answer. He himself is the sacrifice that atones. This is where 
The King James uses this word that nobody knows. He's the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice. He was the one who was the Lamb of God that takes away our sins. The only thing standing between us and that is will we be willing to confess. There are no other real John is arguing that there's one way to healing. There's one way to resurrection. There's one way to eternal life. And that one way is to know the real Jesus. To understand that his sacrifice was not an accident. It was not done by the Romans to him. It was offered by him for us. That's the real Jesus. That's the only solution. I know that some of you feel like your load of sin is this big. It's manageable. It's a loaf of bread. It's a loaf of bread, bread sin. It's no big deal. But it's a big deal. Sin is like a combustible material in front of an eternal God. And it will be destroyed. And if we clutch it, if we hold on to it, if we're unreasonably connected to it and bought into it and we won't let go of it we go with it you get that you go with it some of you feel like i have a bank vault full of sin i have a building here full of sin There's, i don't think that's i don't think that's forgivable no if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness you can't have too big a load Nobody has too big a load. There will be heaven, there will be people in heaven that you're surprised with. And there will be people in heaven who are surprised with you. Remember that guy in college? Remember that girl you dated once? Remember that guy you kicked to the curb? Them. But only the sacrifice of Jesus gets you home. And that's why John is so in earnest. That's why he is saying, if you say you have no sin, you're fooling yourself. If you say you never sinned, you're lying. If you say you're following God and you're living like the devil... You're lost. Don't buy what the world is selling. The bridge is out on that road. There's no way to heaven from that. Lord, thank you for John, for his insistence that we face the reality that sin is part of who we are and what we do. There is no separation. The body can't 
do things and not involve the whole. And that we who follow Christ, we bring Jesus into that. Lord, let us not let us not show another person, point another person in the wrong direction because of our dumb choices. Let us not get cut up, caught up in whatever the culture is selling at the moment about Jesus. Let us anchor our faith in you, the active agent of creation, being willing to take the ultimate penalty so that in justice we might all be forgiven. We bring our sins to you this morning. Big ones and our little ones. The ones we're afraid somebody will find out about. The ones that everybody knows. And we lay them again at your feet. Because they keep haunting us, Lord. Help us to understand that when they're at your feet, they're out of our hands and they're no longer a part of our problem. Thank you that John didn't just tell us the problem, he told us the solution. Give us whatever strength is necessary to say yes to Jesus. set on the path toward him. In your name we pray.